On the night of the full moon, people tend to act crazy. Strange things seem to happen. The things that go bump in the night find their way to your door. From the twisted minds that brought you family secret comes Gino McGehee's scary tales. What are you afraid of? Today we're straying a little bit away from the horror talk. We are doing an interview. Uh, Gruesome Herzog, Gino McGehee. We we have Andy Salgado on from uh, Mr. White, an independent horror film that has swept many a festival. Um, Andy, thank you for joining us. Hey guys, thanks for having me on, Gino and Scott. No problem. All right, uh, Andy, let's um let's get right into it. Um, uh, Mr. White, how much acting experience did you have before you made your way into Mr. White? I know it was your first film, but did you have a lot of stage acting prior to your move to the film? Um, I had about two years of high school acting, and I actually worked as an extra um, before Mr. White, and then I did a short film that I was cut out from. And... Mr. White was just a completely life-changing experience because that's where I really got into what acting was. That's where I was on set and I was working with people that really thought the same that I did. But before that, I had only two years of high school acting and I I had extra work um, Mm -hmm. walking from point A to point B. And then, like I said, I did a short film that, to me, when I got it was like, yes! I got a supporting role in a short film, <laughs> one day of shooting, and next thing you know, I get cut out of it. <laughs> now, how was the um, the audition process uh, for Mr. White? Uh, the audition process for Mr. White? Well, I auditioned two hours away, and the, the length between the Mr. White audition and the short film was about three months. And the short film really brought down my self-esteem because it was something that I thought to myself, well, crap, if I'm getting cut out of a short film and I only had three lines, what are the chances of me, you know, being able to get something bigger? And that's Mm -hmm. where I I really had to go deep within and say, well, I have a passion for this. This is what I, this is what, I'm not doing this. I am this. I love this job. I love, or this career. I love what I do. So I went ahead and I I went on Green Room Orlando and saw the Mr. White audition and it was two hours away. I Mm -hmm. went, drove, um, all the way to the audition. I was there for five minutes. I auditioned. I came back home and two days later, uh, I get an email from Erica, and she tells me that I got a like a three-line part, and I can't remember the name of the character because this was a a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. So this was, so I get an email from her, and I have about three lines, and to me, I was like, yes, three <laughs> lines, oh, awesome, and that was just. That was awesome for me. So every day for the next two weeks, I was I was um, reciting the lines over and over in the shower. When I ate at, driving at McDonald's, I'd be like, "Okay, I gotta get into the character. It's three lines. I gotta do it." You sound like and, me. <laughs> and then I, yeah. So then I, I I went ahead and I went to the table read and and the table read. Like I said, I, filming was about an hour to thirty minutes to two hours away, and mm-hmm. I went ahead and. And I went to the table read, 
and she said to me, well, you know, you only have three lines, so you don't really have to come. And I said, well, I want to help out. And so she said, okay, you can you can come over. And and um, plus, it was my first table read, so I sure. went. And and while I was there, she said to me, okay, well, we're gonna have you as the narrator. So I became the narrator, and I was passing out water bottles and helping clean up and and mm-hmm. getting to know everyone. And two days, three days later, she sends me an email and says. How would you like to be um, Tyler Rooney, the main character of Mr. White? And so if I was excited to get three lines, <laughs> can you imagine how excited I was to get the main character? I was just, mm-hmm. I, I came out of my room and I was like, yes, I did it. <laughs> what? I, oh my gosh, I went from having three lines to remembering a 130-page script. Sure. <laughs> It was it was um, a life changing experience in that moment. What happened to the first guy? Um, I'm not really sure. Um, I'm not really sure. It's something that's kind of unspoken of. It's okay. something that, to me, when I found out or that I was that I was Tyler Rooney, my focus was on being the character and what I was gonna do. Right. So I'm not really sure. Now, um, Tyler in the film, he's kind of like um, outcast goth you really really fit into that role so much how much of yourself do you see in Tyler if any at all um you know before I started filming I I didn't see myself at all as Tyler Tyler is a very unique character and as you as you watch the movie you kind of notice that um Tyler is not just one character there's two there's Tyler in the first half and then there's Tyler in the second half so Tyler he stutters and he stammers and he's nervous and he um walks you know, swiftly but nervous, and and then in the second half, then he's smooth and cool, and and he has his mohawk, and he doesn't stutter anymore. So I had to play two different characters, physically, and and mentally and emotionally. Prior to filming, I was very different from Tyler, and it was something that I had to study. I, I did a lot of studying. I took um, a couple co- uh, courses on psychology. I, I studied a lot of books on stammering and stuttering. Mm-hmm. I, I I learned a lot of things about being socially awkward and, and things like that. And and then I started filming, and towards the end of the the movie, I realized that in a way. I could, I could um, associate to Tyler like a hundred percent because the main purpose of the movie is bullying and what bullying does to someone. And sure. I was and I was bullied in high school, so I found myself while I was portraying Tyler, while I was Tyler, I found myself thinking back and saying, "Wow, I went through this situation. This." Mm-hmm. This is real. This really happens to people. Mm-hmm. So, oh yeah. So I towards the end of the film, it was definitely harder to leave Tyler behind. And I think as an actor, all of your characters never really leave you. They kind of just become like a family on on their mm-hmm. own because they have made who you are in your craft. Sure. So, so it was harder definitely to leave my character um, before. Uh, after the movie than before then because you know throughout the film you you feel bad for him and you you kind of miss mm-hmm. him you well you want to see more of him because he's so unique mm-hmm. so did you uh, find the role uh, therapeutic at all considering that you were the victim of some bullying and and 
in the Mr. White, you've had that revenge factor, and you were able to be the orchestrator, or at least your character was. Was was any of that therapeutic for you? Um, yes, definitely as a person as and as an actor. Coming from an actor's point of view, I think that any job that you do or, or any character that you portray is therapeutic because you get to learn so much about yourself and you get to associate on a universal level between all the characters, your character, and then who you are as a person. And you have to find a common ground for all of them and think people really go through these situations. And you have mm-hmm. to em- empathize, and you have to um, understand how they feel. But myself, personally, afterwards, after filming, I had to... I thought to myself, many things that I wish I kind of wish I would have done differently in high school. I, sure. you know, like, stand up for myself more. You know, my self-esteem was very low in high school, so I thought to myself, well, characters... Uh, Tyler stands up for himself in a way that I hope nobody stands up for themselves. <laughs> but but I think that the social the social purpose is for someone to to value themselves enough to say no, I don't deserve how you're treating me. I don't mm-hmm. deserve what you're doing, and we may be different. But at the end of the day, both you know we both have the same heart, we both have the same blood. So you don't have to accept me as I am. But you have to respect me as I am. Do you think a little bit off topic here, Andy? Um, do you think that the new focus on bullying? We we had someone locally here in, in Massachusetts kill themselves, a, a young girl, um, and that kind of went nationwide, and it, it sprouted this whole anti-bullying thing. Do you, do you think that the bullying situation has gotten better, or is it just brushed under the rug? Um, I think that. The bullying situation has gotten... Throughout the past couple of years, there have been a lot of suicides, you know, from teens that have been bullied because of their weight or bullied in general or or gay boys that were bullied because of their sexual orientation or who they were. Sure. And I think that it's something that needs to be um, addressed not... At, because bullying is universal, so it's something that needs to be addressed universally. It's something that needs to be looked at and said, why is this happening to this person, and why is it okay if it happens to them, but not okay if it happens to me? So right. I think that, yeah, sometimes it is brushed under the rug. Sometimes it's looked at like, oh, okay, they were off their rocker, or they must have done something bad, or this, that, or this, that. But if somebody comes to you and says, I'm having problems I'm being bullied and I don't know what to do it's something that you need to address and understand and I think I, w- I would hope that it gets better definitely I think mm-hmm. it has gotten a little better compared to when I was being bullied mm-hmm. um, but I think we still have a long way to go and I think that we need people that are going to stand up and say I was being bullied because of this. I got bullied because of this, so I understand how you feel. I think there needs to be a group gathering where they can all come together mm-hmm. and and address it so it doesn't happen anymore. Well, you know, Andy, um, perception is everything, and I think um, that a lot of the bullying uh, comes from the fact that, well, obviously the kids that are different, the goth kids, the, the quiet ones, the artistic ones, I, I think because it, it's difficult because the teachers typically relate to the more the 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 football players the the people that 
you know, they can't click with the guy sitting in the corner with the long hair, all in black. It, it, so, so for them to relate to that person is difficult. And when you can't relate to them, uh, it's harder to help them. It's easier to see it from the other side of, you know, uh, just boys being boys kind of thing. Exactly. No, I completely understand how you feel. And I think that's where it comes to um, being able to – I think a part of not being able to relate to them is a part of your – I understand you can't relate to them because of their experience, but I think a part of it also has to do with judgment. You know, you wonder, why is this person dressed like that? Why do they act so weird? Why are they socially awkward? Why do they sit by themselves? Instead of just saying, why don't I just approach the person and say hi, and maybe I might just get some kind of positive result. Yes, a connection. Right, because we're not only stopping, stopping bullying here, we're stopping potential tragedy like with, with uh, Columbine because I, uh, you know, with Columbine, not that I am giving them the thumbs up on what happened, but the fact of the matter is you have kids that were mercilessly picked on, including they forced these kids to eat dog shit. Did they think that this pressure cooker would never go off? I know. Exactly, exactly. No, I completely, I completely agree with you. It's, I think that a bully themselves, because I found myself I, I was being bullied a lot throughout elementary school and high school. And there was a point where there was a, a, a small point throughout my high school years that I became a bully on the people that I felt were lower than me just because I was being bullied by people above me. And sure. I think, and so I had to, I relate to that in the sense that a bully bullies someone because they are afraid of something. So when a bully is bullying someone, it has nothing to do with the person that they're treating like crap. It has everything to do about them. It, they're kind of saying, I don't value myself. I think my self-esteem is really low, so I'm going to lower yours in the hope that mine gets higher. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is that they push the person too far to the point where tragedies happen and suicides happen and 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 things like that. And I think that if... If the bully were to look at themselves and say, why am I really doing this? But I, then again, it, like, like you said, it has to do with perception, and there are different factors that fit into it, like social, um, social, uh, like um, wh- when you push someone. I, I'm, I'm looking for a particular word, um, and it's not coming to mind. But <laughs> sure. <laughs> Um, peer pressure, you know, yeah. some, part of it has to do with peer pressure. Part of it has to do with, um, you know, some people just don't want to relate or understand, and the other one just has to do with maturity. Mm-hmm. So, well, but, it, yeah, I, but no, I I agree with what what you say, where where um, you know that cooker is going to go off eventually, and the purpose is to stop it before it goes off. Well, you do know that uh, bullying is out of school as well. And a lot of the bullying outside of school now is mostly jealousy. Um, or situations to where if this person gets too much publicity because of his or her performance, it tends to, other people tend to try to keep that person out of events or because, to me, that's, that's a form of bullying to when if there's an event and they'll say oh he's busy doing something you know what I mean it, it happens in all jobs it happens in sure. life period uh, it's just, just an, another form of bullying 
But Andy, what what I I can say this that when we did the interview with the cast interview, you and I connected right away. Um, some people have that click on on people. I mean, I have it. Gino has it. Uh, I just felt from watching you in that movie, your your performance was so dominating over everybody else. And I'm not being ignorant to nobody. I'm just saying that your performance really stuck out in that film. I've said it numerous times. And I will say this now, because people didn't know it, I did give you the Best Actor Award for your performance as Rooney mm-hmm. and Mr. White, because your performance hits home. Uh, I mean, I was bullied in school ages ago, back in the 80s, you know. But uh, just to watch you perform that, and not only it's your first performance in a movie, I mean, it's just an amazing of what you've done. You, you went to the extent of ordering pizza Calling pizza people, calling a pizza place, <laughs> acting like Tyler Rooney. I mean, you really got into your character, and I think without your performance in Mr. White, and what I'm saying is, if anybody else would try to play Mr. White, I don't know if it could have been pulled off as well as you did it because your physique, your performance, your you nailed it. I mean, to me, you are the heart and soul of Mr. White. Not because your face is on the DVD cover. It's because you rocked your performance in that film. And Yeah. No, I truly appreciate your compliment. And yeah, I have been... First, I want to say that is my first Best Actor Award, and it feels really awesome. So I appreciate, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I appreciate your it's compliment. It's my first one I ever and, did, uh, too, for that matter. I never did yeah. it before. Like I said, you know, Gino and I were talking. I mean, um, when uh, Gino had his film festival, and he mentioned about Mr. White is going to be playing in in his festival, and I said, hey, Gino, you got to see it. It's fucking phenomenal. I mean, I love the '80s throwback, and you could, Gino, you can quote me on this. I did tell you right off the bat. I said, wait, till you check out Andy's performance as Tyler Rooney. That's well, the well, first yeah, thing I, was, I said. I was when when I saw, you know. The cover art to Mr. White initially, you know, it was misleading. Um, the, the one I saw, I think you were just the side shot of you, Andy, and I really didn't know what to expect. But it it, it brought it, and and you brought it, Andy. The the fact of the matter is, a movie, uh, any other care, any other actor in that spot, if they couldn't have pulled it off like you did, it, it wouldn't have been as good. So you have the monster, which was very neat looking and very very cool. And then we had the goth kid, and, and this is why I said earlier that you know how much of you was in that because you you were just so natural in it, and I know. <laughs> and, and and like gruesome, you know, I was uh, I was a long-haired metalhead, and I was beaten up in school and bullied in school, and so you do get you're able to relate to it, and if you weren't the actor you are, Andy, that would be impossible because it's hard to suspend um, disbelief. If the actor is stinking up the joint. Yeah. Wow. I really appreciate your compliment, guys. Yeah. Um. I. I <laughs> speechless. Um. Yeah. You know, it's it's something that I really I it's something that I'm proud of, and I'm proud of the whole team. I'm proud of everyone that put so much effort into this because you can't. I believe at some point you can't have good actors without a group a good team or you can't have great actors without a great team a great director a great producer a great everything you need it you need an ensemble and i really appreciate your compliment to be able to say to me um as a whole you were really great and um i learned so much in this film from everyone because like i said it was one of my first 
first projects. It was the first project that I ever had lines in, and I wasn't cut out of it. Um, mm-hmm. So, so <laughs> it's something that. Um, luckily, we had a group of people that were all very understanding and patient while we were while we were filming, and and um, overall, I'm really grateful for your compliment, Gary. Have you guys seen the movie VHS? Oh yeah. VHS. Yes, absolutely. Yes, that VHS one and VHS two. I love it. You know what? I I, I like them both. I thought the um, I was kind of disappointed to find out that the guy that did the Blair Witch was responsible for that shitty zombie one in this in the second one. Uh, oh really? The, yeah, I didn't like it. I, I was you know when I, I liked heard, it. I liked did it. Did you did you really? Yeah. I, I I liked the Alien one. I thought the Alien one was fantastic. Oh my god! That if. I did a review on that, and watching that short film with the aliens, it brought me to tears because you know the story about my dad passing away. It'd be a year soon in December. Is mm-hmm. I grew up with that that old style alien looking stuff, and I just sat back and just tears in my eyes, thinking, "Wow, yeah. I love this." Yeah, but yeah, yeah, so. that was cool. Yeah, definitely uh, cool. And they have like a like an older school, almost a. I think '80s was what they were aiming for anyway, but. Both of them are very cool flicks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they're both really good. But anyway, I would yeah, thanks so much for um for the offer to be on on your show um Friday night and be part of the team. That's I would love that. Very and and cool. we have we have a relatively I mean decent following, thankfully. People seem mm-hmm. to dig the show, so we're we're pretty happy with the uh the turnout, the downloads, the listens and uh the occasional email saying you don't suck. So we're doing uh <laughs> I, I, I think <laughs> But I, I must warn you, Andy. I do get carried. I do go crazy sometimes. Uh, um, just me. I mean, uh, Hard Talk is a show that I can be fully myself. You know what I mean? Where John and I usually go at it sometimes because he thinks something's different. <laughs> but, but that's just. I mean, me and Gino don't always agree either. I mean, it's. No. I, I I want people to be like Andy. If if I say that I like this film. If you don't like it, I expect you to say I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. You well, know, you know, you can't you can't um you can't talk about horror movies without going a little crazy <laughs> So I but, think that's what makes a good show. <laughs> and it is. It's a lot of fun. It's uh I think at one point we even talked about E. T. giving one of us a hand job just to show you how fucking random it is. <laughs> <laughs> So it's that glowing finger. You can it'd be beautiful. Oh yeah, and yes, Nicholas Cage and John and oh, you. We we are eventually having our cage match because me and uh, John, uh, he's a Brit, so I just don't think he understands the culture. At least that's what I'm saying. And so we have our war going over the acting ability of Nicholas Cage, where I believe Nicholas Cage is uh, a American treasure, a great actor, and and John thinks. Nicholas Cage sucks, so <laughs> that's our debate. Awesome. I'm excited to have you in it. Um, let's we'll get back to to the interview here, Andy. Yeah. How long did it take for you to shoot Mr. White, and was it uh, did you do it on weekends or did you do it uh, uh, like a full week to week shooting schedule? Um, Mr. White was about not counting the preparation and uh, the still work or the the poster work and stuff like that. Mr. White was shot in a I can't remember. Um, I think it was a four-month period, and it was Saturdays and Sundays, and sometimes days in between, depending on actors' availability. 
but I think that it was a four-month shoot. So it was June, July, August, September, four months. Okay, all right. Yeah. Well, that's like that's very common, you know, especially like in the uh, lower-budget horror. But, you know, for a lower-budget horror film, Mr. White certainly had its look and its atmosphere to it. But um, what kind of like um, – I know you were the actor in it, but – what kind of obstacles did you encounter while filming it? Because it, it certainly it didn't have you know it wasn't bankrolled by a big production studio. So, uh, what kind of uh, uh, problems did you encounter during the filming of it, if any? Um, I think a lot of the problems. Well, other than you know the the personal problems that you encounter on set, as far as uh, when you're a new actor, as far as where you go, where you stand, what you do, who you talk to, who you make friends with, things like that. Sure. I think that collectively, a lot of the problems were the fact that it was shot in the middle of the desert, um, at like a hundred and something degrees in Florida, in humid like It's like we're walking in a jacuzzi. Oh, so, um, a, you know, there were a lot of times where we were, especially with you know. Florida, random rain, you know, one minute it's really sunny, and then three minutes later it's thunderstorming and there's rain. So we went through a lot of Mother Nature problems. And oh, then yeah. you, you know, and then you go through the, the regular problems that I think any, any film goes through, which, you know, sometimes you have wardrobe malfunctions, and sometimes you have to make sure that continuity issues are, are, you know, are correct. And, you know, there were times where, um, you know, some of our clothes would get ruined somehow, and then we'd have to go find a Goodwill or go to Walmart or something and and get like a shirt just to to keep the continuity going. You know, and it's and I think it's little things like that that keep the dedication of the film going to be that sure. dedicated to to fixing anything that comes you know comes about because ultimately the goal is to have a a tremendous successful product. Right now, now a lot of actors they. You know, and and this is basically across the board. You need a good dance partner, uh, or it's not going to go. And so, when you're working across from an actor, it, it has to be a lot easier than what you did later in the film, where you're basically like working either across from the monster, or you were just saying things almost to the camera. What well, was how difficult was that uh, for you to make the transition from actually talking to the actors? in the beginning stages to kind of just being almost on your own? Um, you know, I think outside of set, it was something where you find comfort in being able to have someone to talk to on set so you don't feel like a loner. Um, and But then, you know, you you use that to your benefit, especially with a character like Tyler, because Tyler is a loner. It, you know, you have to, I think... From, I, the way I did it was from the beginning of the film... I found myself by myself. I found I found some I found comfort in just being by myself and kind of doing it on my own because mm-hmm. if I mess up then I learn from it and but if I mess up it kind of keeps some integrity to Tyler himself. Um but luckily then I would have, you know, Erica Summers or you know, different actors and producers throughout filming that would say, okay, I need you to do this differently. And that's the goal. You know, ultimately, mm-hmm. you want to give the director what they're looking for and you want to give the script what it's looking for. Sure. But at some point, an actor has his voice and how he sees the character and he has to bring that out while, you know, adding what the product is supposed to have, 
um, what the script actually has within it. So, mm-hmm. um, so a big part of it was being on my own just because I think it helped me relate to Tyler more. Um, yep. But I did have a, a collective group of people that were there to help me out anytime I needed. Well, you, you know, you said it that there, like w- within my films, a lot of times I will have an uh, actor. And they'll start playing the role a little bit differently than I envisioned it, and I'll actually prefer it, and I'll let it run its course. Um, and, and you know, there's pride in ownership. And how much ownership did you take of Tyler, as far as from your creative stance? Um, do you think do you think your vision and the end product is a little bit different because of your twist? And, and if so, how much? Um, I actually don't think that that the end product was whatsoever different from the vision that Erica had and the vision that the producers had and the vision that I had because reading the script the thing is that I got I I wasn't supposed to be Tyler so I actually had something that benefited me which was I had a three line part and then I went to the table read and while I was at the table read I wasn't Tyler I had a three line part so Mm -hmm. I at the table read I didn't have the pressure of not knowing what the script was about I did not know how they would I, in my head I wasn't thinking to myself how are they going to perceive me because I wasn't Tyler in that moment it wasn't until a couple days later where now I was already familiarized with what everybody wanted and everybody's vision of Tyler that then I could come up with my own and I think that's something that benefited me Do, do what, am, am I making sense? yes you are no you are you are so um, yeah, so so not being Tyler in the beginning, um, be, you know, because originally I wasn't chosen as Tyler until I think Erica saw something in me that that um, I appreciate that no other director has seen. Um, at the table read, I didn't have to go through that pressure of trying to please them or or please anyone or try to impress anyone. Um, so a couple days later, since I had already gone to the table read, gotten to know everyone, I knew clearly what they wanted. That's mm-hmm. when I was like, okay, this is how I see him. And at the end, how I saw him was actually 100% how how Erica saw him as well. So um, so there were many times that we practiced um, before set and after set, the walking and the stuttering and the movements and the jittering and the jaw and the hair and things like that so we could mm-hmm. all get on the same page. Okay, now um, the original, uh, you said the script was 130 pages. That's a very long for a horror film, very long for a film in general when you break it down to minutes. Um, I get a lot of horror films that are two and a half hours, two hours and 45 minutes. And and I look at these and I and I think to myself they're way too married to the to the project. Uh, my was my family secret my my, uh, my third film there. The, the first cut was two hours and forty minutes, and I knew no one's going to sit through two hours and forty minutes of a horror film. Um, from your standpoint, was it difficult to to uh, dissect that film? Because I'm assuming it had to be well over the eventual ninety minutes that it landed. Yeah. Um don't quote me on the 130 minutes I mean the 130 pages I think it was somewhere between 110 and 140 I know that much but okay. um but um yeah you know I think it, I, and I think it happens in, in any film including short films you dissect each stage you dissect each room that you're in and you dissect this mood and this mood and what this is saying and what this is doing or that's what I do or that's what, mm-hmm. how I learned that my craft 
works better um, is by dissecting different things. But yeah, the movie I, I spoke with Erica, um, you know, during the production process after filming, and yeah, there there were some things that were that were cut out, but ultimately it didn't hurt the film at all. You know, you know, mm-hmm. there's. And I think in it, and like I said, I think it happens in any film. I think you always leave room for mistakes, and you also leave room for anything extra. Mm -hmm. And if that thing, and if that you know, quote unquote, extra doesn't fit into your film, then you just cut it out. Um, But as far as me and the way my craft works, is that yeah, I I dissect uh, everything. I dissect Mm -hmm. the you know the pages and the moods in the room and. And uh, and one thing that really helps me out get to know a character, and this is actually just for other actors listening in, is, um, and I learned this in high school, is if you have a character and you don't know, or if you have a character and you're trying to get to know them better, mm-hmm. try to imagine what a room in their house looks like. Like, try mm-hmm. to imagine what does this person's bedroom look like, or what does this person's office or kitchen or or garage or what does it look like you know so for me for Tyler you see his room in the film but you know compared to what's written visually it's very different it's very different because visually you 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 get it you see it with your eyes you can touch it you know when it's scripted it, there mm-hmm. is a, a lot left for interpretation so I sat down with myself and I thought this is how I see Tyler's room and I think it's part of the dissecting process so that's just right. something that could help other actors. Now, uh, speaking of other actors, now um, when you're dealing with a, a micro budget or low, well, let's say, we'll call it micro budget film, um, you don't always get people that will bring their A game. A lot of people, this is in their hearts, this is their passion, and they bring it. But you know, it's the law of averages that you're going to have one uh, moron in there that comes unprepared. Did you deal with that in Mr. White, where you had a, an actor that came? Unprepared, uh, at least consistently. Um, a lot of my focus, honestly, was more on myself and what I could do to the project to make it better. But I don't, honestly, know. We everybody was there, and what's so funny is that I remember a, um, a I remember a sitting down that Erica and I had where she said to me, "This is the first movie that I have ever had where nobody has walked out." in the middle or nobody has not come on set or you know there are the a lot of the actors they would drive from an hour to two hours away so yeah there were times where I was late myself because of traffic or something but collectively we had a cast and a crew that they were all there when they were supposed to Um, yep so and that's always it's rare but it's once you find it you keep it Oh yeah, yeah. Well, and that's the, that's the name of the game, Andy. I know from my experiences, I've I have a good crew of people, good group of actors and whatnot. But I certainly have dealt with my fair share of uh, people that you know always won, no call, no show. Their grandmother died. They, they were abducted by aliens. Some fucking excuse, just you know. And it usually doesn't come until the, the day starts shooting, you know. So. Um, it, it's a, it's a, it's good when you have a good group of people. That's the best thing in the world, and, and I'm glad that that uh, worked out for you. And, and you know, okay. Um, what is uh, is your plan, Andy, to um, stay in horror, or do you have some other genre that that you see yourself in? What's your like your end goal? Um, I just love acting. So any project that comes along, I I ask myself two questions. 
do I like the script and do I like the director? And if it's a yes to both, then I will go ahead and do it. I don't care if it's a short film, I don't care if it's a feature <laughs> film, I don't care if it's a TV series, I will go ahead and do it just because I believe in the product and I believe in, in their service and what they're going to do. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not going to put my name in something unless I trust it, I believe it, and I know it's going to have a meaning, a message, and be successful. Um, but... Yeah, I love any kind of genre. I I just like horror films because it's um personally on my personal time I'll watch horror films on Netflix and I'll go ahead. But I love any any genre and I just I love being able to be on set and talk to people and and um and express yourself and express yeah and express yourself and the characters and and um, and being able to collectively as a consciousness put so many minds together to bring out a product that took six months, a year, two years to film. And then when sure. you see it, you're able to say, Wow, we all did that together, you know? Mm-hmm. And and the food carts. They always make it better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well I can tell you one thing. It the the last two films, besides the the T V show episode that I did the last three that I did, I knew nothing about these people, okay? But mm-hmm. I took a two-hour drive. You know, no, I mean, the first one was no audition at all. It's because of the voice work that I do got me the part, but then it ended up being an eight-hour shoot on camera, which I didn't know about. But I made that two-hour trip, and I'm telling you something. It was, it was one of the best uh, things that ever happened to me because I remember I knew my lines, and we actually shaved an hour of production because we got all knocked out an hour earlier and that was great so I'm used to going into something like I just did Arisen like two two Sundays ago down in Philadelphia I, I talked to Zay the producer Zay, Zay Rodriguez is his name I talked to him on Facebook back and forth but I never met these people so when I went down there I'm going down to Philadelphia for one and not knowing anybody but it was such a great experience you know because mm-hmm. I'm me I will joke around. I'm me. That's my, that's my way of trying to feel comfortable with myself, you know. And it was a great experience. I would tell you the uh, family secret porn story. No. Okay. Long story short, um, I was looking desperately to get a budget for Family Secret, so I threw it out there to anyone that had any business locally, had any money locally, and uh, a friend of mine was in business with this uh, computer programming company and this computer securities company or whatever. And so he said his partner wanted to meet with me. They love the script. They want to they back it. And so I, I go to meet with them, and um, they said that they want to put in between fifteen and $25,000 into the movie. And right wow. at this point, I'm like, fucking A right. And then as we're sitting there, we're at the Outback restaurant, by the way. Just shout out, I like your food, Outback. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they throw it out there, and, and they're like, Gino, do you know, you know what is the biggest seller in the world, right? And I said to myself, fuck, here we go. And they go, the porn industry. And I said, okay. I'm like, but uh, what are you saying? Like, well, we need to add sex scenes to this. We need to bring in a co-director. We need they in an hour and what turned out to be an hour and forty minute film. They wanted twelve sex scenes in it. What? And yeah, and they wanted to bring in fucking uh, strippers basically to do the roles, not actresses. And and I told them, I'm like, this is not going to fly. I'm like, porno horror. Does not sell. We it's horror sells, <laughs> and and so I went to them. I said, "Listen, let's keep the script the way it is. I'll put one love scene in the film, and we'll go. 
and they wanted no part of it to the point where we were just like, you know, let's agree to disagree here. And and I didn't even they didn't even pay for my meal, bastards. But uh, that was uh, you know it's, it was amazing to me that they it was kind of offensive too because you know when you write something and you take the time to write it and you, you got this vision and then their vision is let's just fucking smut it up and no. sell it like that. That wouldn't go over at all. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so. In the end, yeah, it was very disheartening, but but thankfully now the people I'm dealing with, they, they have very low interest in uh, adding uh, porn to any of my films. <laughs> yeah, once, yeah, once it you know, becomes something like that, I think you're dealing with a whole other demographic. <laughs> so, oh, absolutely. So you might want to be a little careful. <laughs> and, and I also had an opportunity, uh, just to show you my luck, to direct a film, and I said, fantastic. Met with the guy. It was a transgender porno film you wanted me to direct. Oh, God. Now, nothing nothing against transgender porn, but I don't know how the fuck to direct it. What would I do? I can't, I can't wait to show this interview to my grandma. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry. I, I promised myself I wouldn't bring up transgender porn, and I've just I've broken the promise again. Oh, my God. It's it's just that uh, I just didn't know what to say. The money was good, but you know I don't know if I need goggles or a what. I don't know. Well, Andy, I, I, I'll say this because you said it on numerous times about your grandmother, and I think that's what I admire about you is you seem very family oriented, and that's very rare in the youth today. Um, I, I admire you for that. Uh, Thanks, you I know. really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I know it's so funny is that I don't really um honestly have that many close friends especially I think and I think you guys will come to real um I think you guys know this you know especially when you're in a business like this um you don't really know who to trust mm-hmm. and yep. luckily since the very beginning I'm very blessed to always have my mother my father um my my closest friends that's like three of them and um my grandma so so it's something that hi grandma you keep those people you know you keep those people um close to you and shout out to tgi fridays i like their food too so a gift card <laughs> olive garden baby olive garden no, you know tgi fridays great boneless buffalo wings those are tasty bastards <laughs> um my name's Andy Salgado, and I am the actor of Mr. White. I play Tyler Rooney. Woohoo! Okay, my name is Gino McGehee, the co-host here. Uh, filmmaker, Evil Awakening, Rise of the Scarecrows, Family Secret, Scary Tales, Sickle, Lone Gunman, Lone Gunman, which is free on YouTube. And I also own and operate ScaredStiffReviews.com, uh, the home of horror. And, and I am gladly to be the co-host here with my friend Gruesome. Ooh, nice. I am Gruesome Herzog, also known by my birth name, Scott Kiter. I am an actor, voice actor, producer, and I do my reviews at GruesomeHerzog.com. And you can check out all our interviews on iTunes, I mean, and our talk show on iTunes at (laughs) HardDeadBeats.com. Thanks, guys, for having me on. I really appreciate it. We'll keep you in contact. So very soon we'll be working together. Absolutely. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, guys. No problem. Thank you. Take care. <laughs>